going to ask you to pray with me if you would, please. God has already been prayed tonight. Uh, Joe, tonight has been prayed earlier today. That we be your people. Thankful, grateful for what you've given us. We be your people. Seek you, trust you. And that we're constantly amazed and and grateful. May we never take those things for granted that you shower upon us. And yet at times when it feels like it's uh, probably not necessarily something that we would want or on our agenda, may we, may we accept that anyway, fully and completely like, like we accept all others. God, we need you, and may in the next few minutes we be drawn to you closer. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob mentioned this morning that Gordon is uh, in Brazil, and uh, he had asked uh, us to, uh, to share some of this uh, this morning and this evening. And I wanted to tell you that, uh, and we will, uh, I have uh, wrestled with this some about whether or not to go with this Judges series, and we're going to, but I'm also uh, drawn to an issue or a topic that really has been uh, pervasive in conversations that I had. So last week, we finished up uh, our Camp Aaron uh, gathering. Uh, several of us here at Preston Crest partner with Christian Works for Children, an organization called the Moyer Foundation, and we have been now in our ninth year of serving children and, and teenagers who are dealing with the death of a loved one. Someone, uh, and, and they have had all kinds of deaths, uh, natural deaths due to just age, sicknesses, uh, unfortunately suicides, uh, a number of things going on. And uh, we have, we carry different roles, uh, I'm kind of lead counselor on the guy's side. There's a lady that's a lead counselor on the girl's side. And there's another one that kind of, we kind of collaborate together. And I sat, uh, I, I roomed in the dorms where the boys stay. And I, they have different age groups for different, uh, <clears throat> for the boys uh, from, I guess, what, uh, nine or ten years old. I forgot the youngest up until up to, up to high school, to 18 and many of them are in various stages of dealing with life stuff, their circumstances. Again, uh, what the common denominator that brings them to Camp Aaron is the death of a loved one. And uh, many here have participated in that. We have, uh, it's been embraced quite a bit by, by our church. So last week we were in, I was in the room where the green group was. They have them compartmentalized into colors and uh, for colors and corresponding age groups. And broken down in five, six, or seven boys and girls together. There's one one person in particular that was uh, quite a challenge. There are actually two, but one in particular that was quite a challenge. And as he was acting out, and he was acting out in colorful ways, both in his behavior and in his words, uh, and he was also trying to draw a group behind him. I was intrigued by by uh, well, first of all, I was frustrated because uh, quite frankly he was a handful and he was very oppositional and he was not respectful and he was all that and uh and then he had a he was a batman and robin team and uh they they really worked off each other pretty well and uh and at one point and there were other his the big buddies which are basically camp counselors for a three-day weekend and so the camp the big buddies at camp Aaron were pulling the hair out so so frustrating and uh as we were experiencing all this uh it culminated saturday night with a lot of uh, some ugly stuff and then and then it kind of eased up on sunday morning and then we finished up last week uh with the parents coming back they let them, they let the children off on friday afternoon 
right after lunch, and they come back to get them on Sunday afternoon, uh, right after lunch. And so uh, we've had a full time with them with a lot of engaging activity and uh, processing some of the grief and the challenge of what's going on. They identify their, their families, that their individual loved ones are missing, put their pictures on the board. And as I watch these kids, and I watch these uh, younger, younger kids, older ones, boys and girls, and I saw them acting out, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I wonder what it would be like to be their parents all the time. And as the parents came and picked them, uh, let them, you know, gave them to us on, on Friday, and as they picked them up on Sunday, it occurred to me as I watched them, the final part of the program that we have when the parents come back in, they give a little orientation we do, and the kids come in age by uh, group by age group, and they come in and do what's called the uh, uh, cardboard testimony. Maybe plenty of y'all have seen that, where they tell about something about their life that was, and then through the process of whatever, in this case camp, uh, they tell about how it's better. They turn the cardboard uh, around and show what it's like now. And I watch these kids indicate that their time at Camp Aaron was good. And I was wondering about that because it didn't look good to me. It didn't look good to a lot of our staff. And we recognized, one of the things that occurred to me was that the behavior that was, that was being demonstrated was what was getting our attention. What I was losing as we wanted to go therapeutic, because we wanted to kind of go through the process and help them heal some and walk through and talk through some of the hurt and some of the pain, was that they are doing what they can do the best they can where they are. What we didn't know was the family systems, what, what they were living in in home. What we did know is that they had at least one death in their family. This young man had multiple. On Saturday night, there's a demonstration and there's a, there's a candlelight ceremony, uh, a love light ceremony, we call it. And they come and they tell about their parent, their parent, their grandmother, their cousin, their brother, whoever. And then they put a candle on a raft and the raft uh, of 70 or 80 kids represented is taken out into this pond and they watch that raft roll away. And as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about uh, the behavior challenge of the kids, what I was reminded was, or what I was thinking about the, the, the process, it occurred to me, and I shared this with our total staff, volunteer staff, on Sunday afternoon after the kids went. And that was, this was probably the most challenging behavior year that we've had. But we get them for a short period of time. We want them to behave in a certain way. We want them to be helped by the process. But we recognize that... Uh, all they have is what they have. They have the experience of the death of a loved one. They have a parent or grandparent or cousin or whoever that's engaged with them or not. We take them from where they are. And we take them for two, two and a half days and we get them to another place. And our goal, my agenda was hopefully for they, they would behave better. And I had to remind myself, they are who they are. <clears throat> What's that got to do with Judges. As I've th thought about and prayed about this, and I've had a few conversations like this, a dear friend of mine sat the other day and was sharing with me the struggle and frustration because the career path, the employment is not going well. Not just career, employment is not going well. There is no job. Struggling with that. Got a call from a, another friend not long ago that, uh, from the DFW surrounding area, and he wanted to send a young lady to me who was struggling because she wanted to be married and she was not. And so she, he wanted to send her to me so that I could somehow explain to him or to her, not to him, to her, 
what that was about and how she might get through that. I don't know if it's because I'm a singles minister, because I'm single or whatever the case is, or a counselor, or who knows what. As I thought about that, this is what occurred to me. We, we do a pretty decent job. I do a pretty decent job of deciding what needs to be happening at this stage and phase of my life. What's passable and what's not. And I think I'm not alone. There's a tendency in the human condition to be thinking about and want and desire certain things at certain times. In colleges, we think that we need to get the MRS degree before we get out of college. At least it used to be the case. That's not really the case anymore. But there was the thought that you, if you don't get married out of college, then something's really, gonna, something's really bad and, and something's going wrong. And, and I've, I've had those conversations with a few people, and I thought, now who decided that? Who put the suppose in I'm supposed to? The, the, the reality as I see it, and I'm interested in checking with you, is that we, we do by nature, as human beings, we have our own desires. Our desires for certain things to happen. The kids that went to Camp Aaron last week would desire, most of them, that their loved one didn't die. But they did. He or she or they did. And so they're left to deal with it. The young lady from a little distance outside of, of DFW area uh, would like to be married. It's not happening for whatever reasons. Uh, there are people that are in our church family here that are struggling with illnesses. And it's been long enough. Yeah? There are people in this room who we pray about, we love, we care about, and we know that you know, your, your mates or your, 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 your kids or your, someone's not in, employed or someone's struggling with the aftermath of cancer or whatever, and we deal with that and we wonder, why is this happening? And the reality is that we, we may have some answers for that. Some of those answers just, just don't come. And as I was considering this tonight and are exploring this, it may not seem like it's lining up, but I think it will. I want to ask you to go to Judges chapter 8. Um, and we're going to go to, we're going to visit a judge that was the only judge actually that, that thrust himself on the kingdomship or on the, on the judge position. Uh, <clears throat> his name is Abimelech, and we uh, recognize some of us that name. Most people have not named a child Abimelech and probably won't. Uh, maybe a dog or a hamster, but that's not usually a common name. Abimelech was not a favorite judge. And we're going to get to Abimelech here in just a second, but I want to ask you to consider this. As you look at and as we approach this text for just a few minutes, and we're really going to kind of visit briefly Judges 8 and 9, the text of Abimelech, because I want to ask you to consider your life, and I want to consider mine. Uh, we're kingdom builders. We may not think about this, but we're kingdom builders. You are and I am and we are. We tend to build our, our lives, our kingdoms, however we seem to think they ought to be built. And, you, and if whatever feeds into your system, you determine what your life ought to be like. You grow up in a certain place, and maybe you, you have an expectation that's down here, or you have another place, expectation that's here, or you may have an expectation about, you know, I, I grew up in a bad marriage, my family or my parents, my, my didn't, but uh, if I grew up in that kind of context, I may or may not want to be married. I may or may not be expected to go to college. My dad told my brother and me, we're going to college. There's no, you know, there's no, no, no suggestion or, or, or <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're going to do. But we all have this thought that we have an idea about what our, our lives should be about. Is that right? And in our North American culture, we have a lot of that, Im those imageries and those messages feeding into how we, uh, <clears throat> how we assimilate all that. <clears throat> If you're on social media, then uh, if you spend much time there, then you probably have a bubble or something invading your, 
your screen that tells you how to make quick and simple uh, riches fast by personal computer, by real estate. Uh, Dean Graciosi has probably visited you by uh, himself or his, uh, some messenger of his, or you know how to flip a house in Dallas now if you'll go to a, certain, a free seminar somewhere. We know kind of how to do that, and for some of us who might want to have more dollars next to our name, we may want to go sign up for one of those quick two- or three-hour seminars. <clears throat> we want significance. Anyone that I've ever met wants significance. You want to be significant. How you define that is up to you and up to the, the input, the assimilation, the context where you grew up, the people that are in your life. Uh, nobody last week said, I am really thankful that I have someone who has died in my family. That's not part of the package. <clears throat> so when, Jesus, when God in Genesis chapter 1, 26, and you'll see how this fits together in just a second. As we approach how we do our life, as you and I, and as we approach how we do our life, we make two, one of two primary tracks, choices. Genesis one twenty six. God the Trinity said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then two chapters later, that whole plan was blown out of the water. God had an idea. He breathed into man life, woman life. They had beautiful setup. The, uh, the serpent came along, Satan came along, and he interjected a, an alternative thought, which was this. There is more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to live a life. Did God really mean don't eat of that tree? And at that point, there were options represented and introduced. And so from that standpoint and there forward, you and I and we, all of us, have made a choice, and we continue to make a choice about what our option is going to be. Overstated, God's way or my way. God's way or your way. Um, and from that point forward, we wrestle with the issue of pride and the issue of personal agenda, the issue of how I can get what I want to get if I've chosen that path, or how can I listen and submit and trust God's way. That's not news, but what I want to do tonight is share a cautionary tale about how one man chose door number two. <clears throat> Abimelech was the son of Gideon, and he was, the, uh, he was the son, the only son, of Gideon's concubine. Gideon was one of the judges that he, uh, and you know the story, uh, God was, had a mission for Gideon, and Gideon was going to get an army together, and God helped him get his army together, and he whittled it down. And the reason he whittled it down was, and I'm hitting the high points here because we're not going to stop much in Gideon. We're not going to spend a lot of time with Abimelech tonight either, but I want you to consider one of these two roads. Gideon was told by God that you have too many people in your army, so he weeded down and weeded down and <clears throat> whittled away his army even more so. And so when Gideon... In uh, Judges chapter 7, when he had his victory. And then he 
went on with life beyond the victory. His illegitimate son, Abimelech, made the choice that he was going to have the throne. And it was the only time of all the judges that a person was going to make their decision to take the throne. The theme up until that point was an issue was developed. uh, God provided. God set up an answer. There was a revision. There was peace. And then they served the kingdom for a while. But Abimelech, Abimelech decided he was going to do his, uh, have his way. He was going to make his choices. He was going to, uh, basically, he was going to storm the throne. And uh, <clears throat> so in chapter, uh, chapter 8, 30, and 31, we see this. Gideon had 70 sons of his own, for, for he, uh, he had many wives, his concubine, who lived in Shechem, and also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon was, the tri- was of the tribe of Manasseh, and he had... Uh, <clears throat> He had led Israel to victory despite humanly uh, impossible odds, as we noted before. The victory took place with these odds so that God's way and God's power would be clear and profound. And it would be obvious that it was not Gideon's power, but it was God's power that prevailed. So after this victory, he became wealthy. Gideon did, became wealthy, and he had several wives, and he had this concubine, this uh, uh, alternative route for children. And I want you to note, I want you to note in the character of Abimelech that he was, a, he was one who made a choice, as we said from the beginning. Uh, you're going to choose to follow God's way and his timing, or you're going to choose your own way. And Abimelech made his choice to go and seek the throne in an alternative way and an alternative timing. Uh, every leader up until that point uh, was called by God without seeking the role. Abimelech's grasp for the throne was undeniable and it was relentless and he had a plan and he was going to manipulate until he got that his argument was this wouldn't it be better and he went to his people Shechem and he said wouldn't it be better to have just one ruler instead of several and wouldn't it be good to ensure that that one ruler was one of us and wouldn't it be good if your king were me that's pretty bold, pretty straightforward. How about it be one of us, and how about I be it? Pretty brazen. The men of Shechem, in verse 3 of chapter 9, the men of Shechem agree. And so they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Bareth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless adventurers who became his followers. His rise to power is facilitated not, to, not to, by obedience to the Lord, but by a false uh, resource, of, by false funds from God, and it will, uh, by false gods and the funds from the false gods. And it will be founded out, uh, it will be founded, I'm sorry, it will be funded on, on the blood of his half-brothers, 70 of whom he kills <clears throat> in cold blood. Once again, this is not the kind of guy that you want to hire out to be a part of your team. This is not the kind of guy that you would choose to be a king or a judge of your people. And it certainly was not one that God would have chosen. Abimelech sought to rule. 
And he, he knew that Shechem was the place, and that was the context, that was the place, that was ground zero for, for uh, his coup, and so he did it. After leading Shechem uh, for three years, a conspiracy arose against Abimelech. Cons- uh, civil war broke out, leading to a battle at a town called Thebes, Judges 9.50. Abimelech uh, cornered the leaders of the city in a tower and came near with the intention of burning the tower with fire. And I want you to follow this <clears throat> Just a bit more, it goes south for him. And we're covering just some highlights because I want, to get to, I want to get to you and me here in just a minute. The text notes that a woman in the tower dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer. So his skull is cracked. He knows he's, di- he knows he's dying. He said, draw your sword. He says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. So that they can't say, a woman killed me. So his servant ran him through, and he died. And when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was, was dead, they went home. This upper millstone, the upper millstone was a large rock, approximately 18 inches in diameter, and this is what uh, landed on Abimelech's head. He survived the crushing blow, but he knew he wasn't going to live long. And he wasn't going to suffer the disgrace, number one, of being killed, and number two, being killed by a woman, according to the text. Abimelech offers a negative example and a cautionary tale of how leaders to influence others. He led by force, he murdered his opposition, and he led in such a manner that even his subjects sought to overtake him. In contrast to the positive leadership of his father, Abimelech focused on his insatiable personal goals, his, driven by his pride and his unhealthy ambition, and hurting others in the process. And it's interesting to me, <clears throat> as a reference to Abimelech's death, uh, later, in, later in, in Scripture, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 21, uh, he was also, it was also referred to his, his, uh, this death, and it was referred to by uh, David and Uriah when, when uh, he sent Uriah up to the front to be killed. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 21. Spiritually, the reference point of Abimelech pointed to a flaw of leading God's people by man's ways rather than God's ways. I want to ask you tonight, that's an over, that's just a, a glossed over glance at the, at the life and the reigning of Abimelech. Short reign, only person that chose to go take the throne by killing 70 people, his own family, 70 brothers, murdering cold blood. You might say, and I might say, that's cold and that's hard-hearted and we would never do that. And I'm guessing that's probably the case. But what I want to ask you to do is to consider how you go about living your kingdom life. When Jesus called, each person he called in Scripture, he went one by one and said, come and follow me. In whatever way, for the first, the the apostles, he he used those words. Come follow me. And then he said, 
I'm going to go and take you to places, and I'm not going to tell you where those places are. I'm just going to tell you, come follow me and trust me. And you're going to trust or you're not. You're going to do my agenda or you're going to do yours. Abimelech is the one example of the judges that made a choice to go to, to live a life contrary to God's and to go to get a, the, the kingdom, the throne, by a route that was his own and not one of God's. We're Christian people. We show up at this place a lot. My question for you, my question for me, as we consider this story in the context with the backdrop of Jesus and his call for you and me is, as a kingdom builder, whose kingdom? Whose kingdom are you building? Now, we're all going to say we're building our lives to form fit to our Lord. But I want to ask you to consider, is it possible that you and I and that we might find ourselves not overtly being Abimelechish, but we may find ourselves we may find ourselves drifting and shifting away from our primary call to follow him totally and completely, God's way. Is it possible that you might and that I might and that we might be seduced to our own agendas? A friend of mine, <clears throat> a couple friend of mine, determined in, in uh, 2013 that they were going to move to, or they had traveled different places, different third world countries, and they live in Allen, Texas, and they determined that they were going to fly uh, to, uh, to Honduras and spend some time there. And they ended up going there and meeting some people. And they had a, the lady, the, the, uh, Laura Waits, uh, went to a ladies' conference there. And some other folks, some other ladies met at a conference there. And they were fortifying their mission and their ministry in, in, in Honduras. Well, Laura and her husband, Alex, Alex got on a plane coming back from Honduras one time when Laura was still here in Allen. And Alex was convicted that he needed to leave his high-level corporate job here in the DFW area and that they need to do more with their lives. Now, they are Christian people in Allen, Texas, living life for Jesus Christ in Allen, Texas. <clears throat> he comes home, he tells Laura, honey, I think this is something I need to consider. You need to consider. We need to consider. And Laura visited and thought about it and prayed about it. And after a period of time, they both determined, and she was an attorney, they both determine, I think that's God's will for us. What's that going to mean? We have kids here in school. What does that mean for us? We can be here in Allen, Texas, and we can, we can be good Christian folk and do our thing here, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there was a prompting that Alex had and that Laura had that they needed and felt a call to go and do more. So the question they had to wrestle with is, whose agenda are they going to follow? They were building a pretty good kingdom, small k, here in Allen, while they're serving the God of large k, the kingdom of heaven. But they felt compelled and called to pack up, to sell, and to move, and they did that. A little remote village town that now some of us go to there for about five years. But the point is not about mission trips. The point is about asking and listening to the call of God and kingdom building. Alex and Laura had uh, four kids, and then they adopted one, a little Honduran girl. So now they have five. 
And now they're in flux. Their oldest son is now going off to the Naval Academy prep school. He just finished his high school, homeschool there in Port Olympia, Honduras. And now he's going back to, uh, and they're just now finishing. Aiden just, just uh, went through the process of going to Virginia. And now he's up there starting his next phase of life. And Alex and Laura are spending time wrestling with. They're very thankful, very honored that he's doing that. But it's the call that they listened to and followed that I want to examine. It's the call that, I, that, that you listen and that you follow that I want you to examine. It's the call that I listen to and I follow that I must examine. And that is, am I following my call of my life, doing my thing, or am I doing God's? And in the process of listening to the call to the, to the capital K kingdom, Is it possible that I might find myself still battling and wanting to seek my little K kingdom? Not as overt and nasty and violent as Abimelech. But is it possible that I might be like James and John and say, Lord, I'm going to be with you, but can I sit at your right hand, your left hand? Can I get a little bit of, can I get a little special credit? Can I be kind of a little bit of a star on your team? Abimelech lost that battle profoundly. His is not subtle. Stuart, here's a question for you. It's for me. Roland, check it out. Is it possible that as you continue to live your life for him, that you still might drift to Roland Small K, to Gary Small K? Alex and I had a lot of conversation over the, when we were there the two weeks ago uh, in Honduras, and uh, he's exploring, you know, and they explore, you know, where do they go from here and next steps. He's also asking the question, what are we, as we've challenged kids now, they took this very impoverished children in a very poor uh, port town in, in Honduras, and now we took some kids who had no dreams, the thought of having a dream for what they would do in their life was non-existent. Now they have dreams. Now they want to be doctors and lawyers, and they want to be all kinds of things, pilots and officers and this and that. <clears throat> As they potentially consider the possibility of pursuing that, if they get the funding for that, if they get, have the intelligence for that, if they have the education for that, will they be the kind of young men and young women that are also seeking God's heart for that? It's a question that I think you and I have to ask for ourselves. It's one that they have to ask for themselves. Charlie, can you be an elder at a church and lose and spend more time feeding the small K than the large K? You don't set out to do that. But is it possible that you can drift into that? I can. I have. So Abimelech's life is a cautionary tale for me, not because I said it. I didn't set out to try to become significant through you know, challenging for a throne somewhere. I signed up with him in, on April 14th, 1974 by being baptized in the water. I said, Lord, I'm yours, and I yield to you. But is it possible that through the years, and I'll go ahead and tell you, yes, it is possible, that I've had a wrestling match with him to kind of take the wheel. In high school, I was in driver's ed, and I was uh, 
I was driving the car, and our basketball coach at Dell City High School was in the driver was in the passenger seat. He was the he was the driver's ed coach, and uh, I'm not telling myself here. But anyway, I was driving along, and I was going, and I you know, I thought speed limit was a little slow, and so uh, I kind of picked it up a little bit, kicked it in a little much, and uh, coach kicked the brake. He slammed on the brake. That's, I was thinking, but didn't say, "What are you doing? Who's driving here?" And I almost wanted to get up and say, why don't you come around here and drive? I'll get in the passenger seat. We'll just do it that way if you're wanting to override me. And I find myself, I find myself sometimes as a person who is totally committed, committed to capital K kingdom life, wanting to feed and override the capital K kingdom, God's kingdom, kingdom of heaven, with things that might serve Gary's kingdom. Small K. <clears throat> Alex and I had conversations we do fairly regularly about the life, his navigating through that, and Laura does too, her navigating through life, and not just the, the school, the, the institute, IVA, but how they conduct themselves and how they navigate through the teachers and the children and whatever in the school. And God's plan for them beyond there, whenever that would be, in whatever form that would take. <clears throat> I don't know what to answer to a young lady who wants to be married when she's 23, 25 years old, and it's not happening. She didn't come. We didn't have that meeting. There are a lot of variables there. I think what we can explore is how can you listen to God and navigate listening to Him in that context, no matter your circumstance. When a child has a daddy that commits suicide, he can't change that. We can help him navigate through how do you adapt to that. When we listen to the God who calls us to become the people that he calls us to become, capital K people, then I relegate the small K and that's set aside. I have to be a person who listens to him and fundamentally and profoundly commits to his call of Matthew 6, 33. Seek first that kingdom and everything else I'll take care of. Every person that's walked this planet has made a choice. If they've been introduced to this God that you and I know, then they made the choice I'm going to listen to and follow him, and I'm going to assimilate my will behind his. Or I'm going to choose to do my thing. I may ask him to rubber stamp my dreams and my hopes, but I'm really listening to mine and doing my agenda. What I believe Jesus called us to do, and I think he used, David did, and then others have used Abimelech as a cautionary tale, is... It's not your call. His point, his message for you and me to get is, if you're a human being on this earth today, doesn't matter who you are, it's not your call. It's not about you. It's his call. And what we are called to do is to listen, to hear his voice, to be very in tune to his voice, and follow behind with 
great allegiance no matter where he takes us and for whatever period of time. And to challenge and to guard against that drift, where I, at least, may drift to my way of doing things. But he says, take up, take up your cross and follow me. Tonight's a little bit different in that it's about judges, but it's really not. It's about you, but it's really not. Ultimately, it's really about him. And the question, I guess, again, that I would remind us is that uh, if you have not, and most, I think, a majority of people here, certainly the Sunday night crowd, uh, have probably said yes to Jesus Christ long ago. But even when you do, and you're not, this is not about working out your salvation. This is about you following through and saying, I'm committed. When you stand on, the, when you stand on this, those of you married, you stand on this uh, stage and you say to this other person on your wedding day, I'm committing to you and for life. And I'm committing to you for life, to love, honor, and cherish. You don't decide each day. They're not a series of one-day one covenants. You continue to act out that one-day covenant for the rest of your life. Sometimes your selfishness will bubble up, but then you have the responsibility to kind of set that down, set that aside, and work with it. And the same is true here. He calls us to be a people who commit to, listen to, and follow that capital K, kingdom life. And we set our small K life aside. And I got to tell you that there are times when I need your help. Because sometimes my selfishness may bubble up and I need to have someone step in and say, Gary, you, 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 you go inside, you're going south, you're going sideways. Let's get back together. Let's get us on track. Because that's what kingdom life and church life and community life is about. I don't, I don't know where you are on that tonight. Uh, this was, I chose to be, <clears throat> to have this as more of a class or a gathering or a living room discussion about what it's like to be Christ followers who can be seduced and pulled away sometimes from our capital K, kingdom life commitment. And then how might we get back on track? And if you're building kingdoms, let it be only, it's not building at all. It's lining up with the only kingdom that really matters. If you have some needs tonight, we want to be there for you. We are. If you have uh, concerns, cares, things that you want to kind of share, help us, uh, let us share the burden with you, we are certainly willing to do that, want to do that. Whatever we can do, please let us and allow us to do that. We'd be honored to as we stand and sing together.